Welcome to the MedEvidence Podcast, hosted by Dr. Michael Corrin and Michelle McCormick. MedEvidence, where we help you navigate the real truth behind medical research with both a clinical and research perspective. In this podcast, we'll have discussions with physicians that have extensive experience in patient care and research. How do you know that something works? In medicine, we conduct clinical trials to see if things work. Now, let's get the truth behind the data. Welcome to MedEvidence, powered by Encore Research Group. Go to EncoreDocs.com. All right. Who is Dr. Michael Corrin? Where are you from? Tell us your background, Michael Corrin. What brought you to be a doctor? Wow. Okay. <laughs> this sounds like my medical school essay. Well, let's think of it that way. And my medical school interview. Are okay. you going to do a stress test and ask me to open a window that's been nailed down? Ooh, is that a question they ask you? <laughs> well, that's like the famous stress test during a medical school interview okay. is to see how you respond to uh, unanticipated circumstances. Well, now you got me thinking about that. Well, I can tell you a story about that from uh, from my medical school second year show. But, uh, all right, all right. That's, well, that's for start, another let's episode. Start at the beginning. That's for another episode. New York. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, I, I, I grew up in New York City. Most of the time I grew up was in Staten Island. And I uh, went to public school in Staten Island and uh, eventually went to Brandeis University and then to Harvard Medical School. And uh, it's funny that you mentioned about being a doctor because I didn't have any doctors in my family. I, I think I saw a doctor like twice when I was growing up. And um, my parents weren't educated. My mom actually dropped out of uh, dropped out of high school to, to have a family. And my dad you know, barely graduated high school. And so they weren't educated. So I was really the first college-educated person in my family. But I did have a fascination with math and numbers and puzzles. And, um, you know, I heard that being a doctor was the hardest thing to do. So I said, let me try it. <laughs> so it was a bit of a challenge. But it, it was interesting. I also, as a young kid, uh, was fascinated by really understanding the truth and and getting to the bottom of things. Mm-hmm. and and Must have driven your parents crazy. It did. Oh, yeah. absolutely. I drove, drove a lot of people crazy. <laughs> So it's funny that you mentioned about the whole medical school and, and application of why you want to be a doctor, because actually my medical school essay was about the Greek physician Galen. And back then with my Stenon accent, I used to pronounce it Galen. Galen. Yeah. yeah. But it, it's, I think it's actually pronounced Galen, although okay. quite frankly, I'm not even sure. I was going to say dialects change, you <laughs> yeah, know, exactly. and he was Greek. So it was a long, long time ago. Yeah. So you, you may have heard that name. You may not. Uh, Hippocrates is the name that most people have heard of when they think about Greek physicians. But Galen uh, or Galen was a physician in that time. I think he was actually born in Turkey, as I recall. And um, the reason that was important to me is I had a picture and his story in my Funk and Wagnalls Encyclopedia, which was one of those encyclopedias we used to get. You used, it was like a dollar per edition, and you get one a week for mm-hmm. you know twenty weeks or thirty weeks until you got the whole thing. So yep. I think we got just past the G's, then we ran out of money. <laughs> but I, I you got to Galan, <laughs> right, Galen, right. Galen, so you, know, yeah, you yeah. got there. So we we got to uh, Galen, and uh, so I read about him. And uh, he had this like spooky look- looking picture. And, and literally, I got this when I was five years old and I was kind of fascinated and started reading about him. And then I learned that even though he was incredibly famous and very, very important in some ways, like he was the first to uh, start to describe the body in terms of systems. He was doing dissections to understand different organs in the body. He would like feel the pulse and say, oh, you know, your pulse is regular, it's irregular. You, you, you know, your prognosis isn't good because you have a thready pulse, all, all these sorts mm-hmm. of things. So he, he was looked at as a brilliant and very, very important physician. But I learned as I read more about him that he actually fabricated a lot of his results. 
So it was really discouraged to do dissections of humans back then. And um, what he did was he did animal dissections and he extrapolated that information to humans. So he actually described anatomy and made these anatomical pictures that were supposedly of human dissections, but they're actually animals. And everybody believed him, and no one thought to to confirm his findings. So literally, for over a thousand years, people assumed that everything that Galen said was accurate. Because they just kept teaching his teachings? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it just kept, went on and on and on and on, and it was never verified. And of course, they didn't do clinical trials, and they didn't do the things that we do you know, nowadays to verify the truth. So that kind of freaked me out as a kid. I remember, like, once I kind of learned about it, I couldn't, like, look at that page in the Funk and Wagnalls encyclopedia. So, it, you know, if I was you know, looking up uh, Ghana, for example, in the G's, I'd have to make sure that I didn't hit the, the Galen page. <laughs> right. So, a little trigger. <laughs> yes. So, uh, you know, maybe a little insight into the way my mind works. But I've been fascinated with this concept of really trying to understand the truth. And again, as we talked about in the previous se- session, the truth is not always so straightforward. So you would you think this is the most prominent uh, physician of the Greek era? Mm-hmm. I think he was he was alive around you know 100 AD that that, that range you know first second century of of the modern era. And uh, you, why wouldn't you, why would you doubt that this is the truth? And so that's what med evidence is about. We want to verify the truth, help people understand what we know understand what we don't know, which, by the way, is just as important and maybe more important than what we know, Mm -hmm. and then help navigate uh, whatever the issue is based on that knowledge. Yeah. So was there one thing in medical school that that made you want to discover that what that truth behind the the medicine is? Yeah. Well, there was a lot of things in medical school. So, you know, I can talk many, many anecdotes about medical school, but um, I I took a um, statistical class second year in medical school. Um, the, the, the professor's name was Alan Detsky. I still remember his name. Who was, um, you know, he was a Canadian uh, physician scientist. I think he's still practicing. And he actually traveled from Toronto, Canada to Boston at uh, Harvard Medical School to give this class. And he took statistics and made it very relevant to the medical sciences for me. And that helped me understand something that is probably the most important breakthrough of the 20th century, which is formal hypothesis testing. Okay. And we've talked a little bit about that, and that's a big part of MedEvidence, and that's a big part of medical science, and it should be a bigger part of our day-to-day lives. And it gets very confusing to people. When you start to mention statistics, you know, their, their hair goes on fire. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, is that you can break it down into a way that people can understand. No one, you know, you don't have to do a chi-squared, uh, although I can teach you how to do it. <laughs> uh, you don't have to know what a t-test is or an analysis of variance. But the principles of that are actually very, very important. And they are explainable. And if you explain them and people understand that, they'll understand that formal hypothesis testing is a massive breakthrough of the 20th century. It can help us discover the truth. Okay. All right. So what is uh, the science of science? Science of science. So uh, we call it the research of research, or you can call it the science of science, but it's, it's in the same vein as what we've been talking about. That's a pun, by the way, vein. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I grew up on, you know, like Groucho Marx movies, so I, mm-hmm. I have a weakness for, for bad puns <laughs> or, and dad jokes. So. Yeah, that's all right. And you have my permission to beat me over the head <laughs> if it gets too bad. Okay. 
and, and that it's the only way to cure it, by the way. Oh, really? Is that it? <laughs> it is. Okay. Uh, now I, that is good information to have. It is. It is. I, I, I permission. Just don't hit me too hard. <laughs> okay. And make sure it's relatively soft. Right. Right. Okay. That, those, those are the rules. All right. So the science of science. So, so let's think about this for a second. There's so many things in life, and particularly in medicine, that are now rules-based. Okay? So, okay, you know, uh, I'm a little bit of a rule breaker, I have to admit that, but I also respect the fact that rules have a purpose mm -hmm. and that good rules are based on some truths or some underlying features that are really, really important. But sometimes rules run amok. Sometimes rules just kind of lose their point. You know, you, I, I like to say that they've lost the threat. And I'm going to give you an example of that in a second. But so you can have the world that's rules-based or you can have the world that's truth-based. And hopefully they come together and the rules and the truth kind of match each other and they, and they help you out. Mm -hmm. But let's, let's get into a scenario that will help uh, people understand what, exactly what I'm talking about. It's a very simple scenario, but it, you'll, you'll see where I'm going with this. So remember there was a big controversy about wrong site surgery a few decades ago. And there was these horrible situations where you know, somebody had cancer in their, in their left foot and their right foot was cut off. And, and that's horrible. It's inexcusable and should never happen. So the solution for that was, uh, was called a timeout. And uh, you may have heard of that. Uh, lay people may not have heard about it. But basically, the timeout is a concept that before you do a surgery, that everybody in the room, usually led by the, the chief nurse or who's ever running the operating room, will say, okay, we're going to stop for a second. I want to get everybody's attention. And we are here. The patient is uh, Fred Jones. And we have a tumor in the right foot. This X-ray shows that tumor, and we're going to cut up. We're going to cut off the right foot, not the left foot. And they have different things, but basically, they want to make sure that you do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, that sounds pretty simple, but that becomes a rule. So it becomes a rule because then the regulation says that every surgery needs a timeout. Okay, so every surgery needs a timeout. So now we get to other things that maybe not traditional surgery. So one of the things that I do is called a transesophageal echo. And that's using ultrasound to look at the heart by placing the probe in the esophagus and taking pictures of the heart in the aorta. Okay. So this is now considered procedure. And based on the rules, we need a timeout. Okay. So I go walk into the laboratory and there's a very nice nurse and an anesthesiologist and everybody that wants to do their job. And they're good people and they're smart. And they say, okay, we're going to have a timeout now. And um, they said, okay, patient, what's your name? And the patient just had a stroke because that's what I do this test for is to uh, understand why this why patients have a stroke. And this test can find a clot in the heart or something in the aorta. And the patient says, is that Fred Jones? Okay. All right. Check. It's Fred Jones. Well, he didn't say it was Fred Jones mm -hmm. and he was able to, to articulate. And what procedure having Mr. Jones? Okay. Yeah. So, so, oh yeah, you're having a transesophageal echo. Okay. So, so they're going through this whole process where they're fulfilling their rule, but is that the truth? Mm -hmm. No, it's not the truth, but it's, it's, it's a little worse than that. And it's not a big deal. So, all right, you go through this process, you check your box and you move on. But the problem is, is that when I'm doing my transesophageal echo, the most important thing isn't that I'm doing a transesophageal echo on Fred Jones, but it's why I'm doing it. So am I doing that test because I'm concerned that the patient has an infection on one of their valves? Am I doing that test because I'm looking for a clot and this is a stroke patient? Did this guy have a stroke 10 years ago? We know why he had the stroke. And really what I'm looking for now is to see whether or not he meets criteria for an aortic valve replacement. Or did he have a stroke 10 years ago 
and he had a CAT scan, and they saw something funny on the aorta, and were worried about aortic dissection. So that's really what should be discussed at the timeout, not what your name is and what the procedure is. So that's an example of losing the thread. And, and this gets into med evidence and following through on the truth. And rules are a way of projecting the truth in a way that helps the population. But sometimes, and particularly in the modern era, we get lost in the rules and forget about the truth. Okay. I'm your host, Michelle McCormick, and we want to thank Dr. Michael Corrin for his clinical and research perspective behind the science in this episode of Med Evidence: The Truth Behind the Data. Thank you.